Welcome to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. Wherever you're listening from, welcome. We pray that the truth from the Word of God speaks to your heart during today's message. The Bible says in Romans chapter number 4, verse number 6, Even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man, unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Paul has taken a step aside from Abraham, which we dealt with last Sunday, and now he brings in David. And of course, David, that name should get the attention of any Israelite. Wouldn't you you agree? Uh, we see the, uh, the the star of David is one of the symbols that uh, that Jewish people cling to. In Psalm three, you don't have to turn there, but it says, "But thou, O Lord, art a shield for me." Um, David didn't find safety in the battles with his physical shield. He found safety in the Lord, and that's something positive we can look look to for David. He found his strength, and 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 God was his shield. They say that star, it symbolizes safety in all six directions. That's why our six point are north, south, east, west, up, down. Signifies God, the protector and the deliverer of their people in all directions. But the question that we want to answer this morning is, will David be justified by works? That's the, uh, the, uh, the idea behind Romans chapter number four. And turn to your first Samuel passage. Because in Romans 4, we didn't see any of the works of David listed in those verses that we read. We didn't see it listed anywhere. First Samuel chapter 17. Let's look at verse 45. What a great passage. Then David said to the Philistines. Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield. But I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defiled. David, we all know the story. He came to the Goliath with the shield of the Lord. He was totally dependent on God. This idea of preaching nowadays is, oh, you're, you're David. You know, they preach through 1 Samuel 17, and it's as if you and I are somehow powerful because we can put our, our ourselves in David's shoes and we're victorious. But the whole idea behind 1 Samuel 17, David wasn't putting himself in his shoes. He was putting himself in the eyes of God. It was all God. He gave all the honor and praise to God. The Lord is a shield. Look at verse 46. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee. And I will give the carcasses of the hosts of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all the young boys are like, yeah, my ears are perking up. This is what I'm talking about. This is some good, this is some good Bible, isn't it, boys? I mean, everybody, every, every young boy loves David and Goliath, um, his story in the Bible. Keep, continue reading. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth 
not with the sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. And it came to pass, when the Philistine arose and came and drew nigh to meet David, that David hasted and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. And David put in his bag and took thence a stone and slang it and smote the Philistine in the forehead that the stone sunk into his forehead and he fell upon his face to the earth. Praise the Lord. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and smote the Philistine and slew him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. And probably the best verse in the whole chapter for young men to read is this one. This is a powerful verse. Therefore David ran and stood upon the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of the sheath thereof and slew him and cut off his head therewith. When the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. Man, that's a powerful verse, isn't it? He cut off Goliath's head. I'd say so far, we've got an Israelite who's doing some pretty good works, wouldn't you? That's something to celebrate about. What about David's character? Look at, turn over a page. Look at the first verse of chapter 18. And it came to pass when he has made an end of speaking unto Saul, that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And there's nothing perverted here. The, the world would turn that verse into something that it's not. But what, but what about the character of David and the friendship that he had? That would be a great friend to have. Pretty good work, wouldn't it? I'd say so. Look at verse number six. And it came to pass that they came when David was returned from the slaughter of the Philistine. That the women came out of all cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tabors, with joy, and instruments of music. And the women answered one another as they played and said, Saul had slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. That's, that's pretty good. What David was able to accomplish in the power of the Lord. You've got women singing because of the great and mighty feet. I'd say David's got some pretty good works. I'd say David's got some pretty good character amongst the whole nation, wouldn't you? Watch this. We go over to the 24th chapter. 1 Samuel 24. Saul's in hot pursuit of David's life. Look at verse number four. And the men of David said unto him, Behold, the day of which the Lord said unto thee, Behold, I will deliver thine enemy into thine hand, that thou mayest do to him as it shall seem good unto thee. Then David arose and cut off the skirt of Saul's robe privily. He had the opportunity you think cutting heads off is new to David? He's already cut off one man's head. You want to talk about self-control? You want to talk about character? Instead of cutting off his head, he cut off a little piece of his pajamas. <laughs> That's pretty good character, wouldn't you say? He's a good man. He's a good man. 
It says he was a man after God's own heart. We all know that verse. We think of David as courageous. He was. Every young boy wants to be like David. Countless young boys hear about the, the history of David and Goliath in Sunday school all over Christian, Christian churches and Christian Sunday schools. How many of you young boys have imagined yourself slinging that stone? How many of you have practiced that out in your backyard? Yeah. Yeah. The young girls, too. Such a powerful story. Go over to 2 Samuel chapter number 11. Because as good as a man as David was, as much as he was after God's own heart, watch what 2 Samuel 11 reveals to us. I will admit to you, David had way more wins than losses. David did way more good than bad. But we're about to get into some really, really dark sin that permeated David's life. Look at 2 Samuel chapter 11. Let's look at verse number 2. It came to pass in an eventide that David arose from off his bed, walked upon the roof of the king's house, and from the roof he saw a woman and washing herself. And there's no sin so far. Because we look around and we see women all the time. <laughs> but the sin came because he didn't move himself on. Watch what it says. And the woman was very beautiful to look upon. Verse 3, and David sent and inquired after the woman. Bad move, David. And one said, is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Oh, boy, David, come on. And David sent messengers. Really? Yeah. And took her. And she came in unto him, and he lay with her. She was purified from her uncleanness, and she returned unto her house. Horrible sin. Entered into David's life. Horrible. Not only that. It's recorded in God's word. Gentlemen. All of us can raise our hands this morning. And say we are sinners before God. Aren't you glad. That your sin. Isn't recorded in God's word. I mean it is. For all have sinned. What man would want to even fellowship with a man like David if he has a wife. What, you going to steal my wife too? <laughs> What's he going to look at my wife in church? You have the most horrible sin in David's life recorded for all to read about. How's that for a, man's after, a man after God's own heart? Look at verse number 15. Same chapter. And he wrote the letter saying, set ye Uriah in the front of the hottest battle and retire ye from him that he may be smitten and die. He cheats. He, he steals another man's wife. And then he has premeditated murder to have that man killed. He thinks this thing through. Look at verse number six. Let's back up a little bit. 
And David sent to Joab saying, send me Uriah the Hittite. Joab sent Uriah to David. And when Uriah was come unto him, David demanded of him how Joab did, how the people did, and how the war prospered. Come on, David. He's setting him up. And David said to Uriah, go down to the house, thy house, and wash thy feet. And Uriah departed out of the king's house. And there followed him in a mess of meat from the king. You're not concerned about the war, David. If you were, you wouldn't have called one of your bravest and courageous men off the field. Why would you do that? He's trying to cover his tracks. That's why he did it. But Uriah, verse number nine, slept the door of the king's house with all the servants of his Lord and went not down to his house. And when they had told David, saying, Uriah went not down into his house, David said unto Uriah, Comest thou not from thy journey? Why then didst thou not go down unto thine house. And Uriah said unto David, the ark and Israel and Judah abide in tents and my Lord Joab and the servants of my Lord are in camp in the open fields. Shall I then go into mine house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife as thou livest and as thy soul livest? I will not do this thing. You couldn't ask for a more honorable man to be enlisted in your army. My friends are at war. You called me back to ask me how the war was going. You're going to feed me good food. You're going to give me an opportunity to lie with my wife. And David is scheming. So he makes it look like it was Uriah who got his own wife pregnant. Not David. He don't care about Uriah. He don't care about Bathsheba. At that moment, he doesn't care about his army. I'm telling you, you want to enlist somebody, it'd be Uriah. That's a courageous man. That's an honorable man. What a schemer. An adulterous, scheming murderer. And it's written in the Bible for everybody to read. Happy Sunday school. Dark, dark, horrible, horrible sin. Let's turn in our Bibles to Psalm 32. If David's supposed to be justified before God by works. I don't see how he can because, yes, he had more good than bad, but he had a lot of bad. He had a lot of bad. Some of you men, you'd be okay with some sins. Why? Because the Bible says we've all sinned. But you know right now, most of you men sitting in this church house this morning wouldn't tolerate a man like that being around your wife. You wouldn't tolerate it. Yet we hailed David as a hero and a, and, and a man after God's own heart. And I'm not saying he wasn't. What I'm saying is if we take his work and we say he's justified by works, there's no way we can make it fit. That's horrible stuff. Psalms 32, watch what it is uh, in verse number one. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity and in whose spirit there is no guile. This is not just canceling out a penalty that is owed. The strictest of judges must. Dismiss a penalty if someone else pays their price of the debt they owe, of the fine that's given. 
But that strict judge has no heart toward that criminal. He's just doing what the law has said. When you read verse 32, the blessing, the blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity and whose spirit there is no guile. Forgiveness, God's forgiveness. It includes the heart of the forgiver. That's the blessing. You are God's object. And so am I. Of mercy. You're God's object of mercy. Forgive your brother. Okay, I forgive you. You did what was required by the law. But you did not have the heart of a true forgiver. God does. God does. You see where it says in verse number one, whose sin is covered. Covered is an Old Testament word. It's an Old Testament term. Those sacrifices in the Old Testament, they didn't take away sin. They covered sin. That's why we see in Hebrews 10, not to turn there, but it says, uh, standing daily, ministering all, uh, sacrifices, the same sacrifice which can never take away sins. Hebrews 10, 3 says, but in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. So in the Old Testament, there was a remembering, but there wasn't a removal of. It was every year they were being reminded every one of those sacrifices. Sin was put in front of them. Don't forget you're a sinner. Don't forget you're a sinner. Don't forget to remember again that you're a sinner. It was a remembering, but it was not a removal. David can say, blessed whose sin is covered. We see Old Testament types. We see those shadows. We see those pictures. We see that typology in the Old Testament, right? Amen? We do. But Hebrews 9.26 says, hath he appeared to put away sin by what? Sacrifice of himself. And until Christ came, all it was was a covering. All it was is it was a remembering. There was no taking away. But Hebrews 9.26 tells us he put it away by the sacrifice of himself. I'm telling you, if there's any scripture to rejoice and shout and say hallelujah about, it's that one. He took it away. When he took it away, he pronounced you and I righteous. Praise his holy name. Look at verse number three, Psalm 32. When I kept silence, before he mentions his sin to God, he kept silent. His mind is holding on to it, but he's unwilling to confess it. He kept his mouth silent before God. He's hoping that enough time would go by and the thing would just disappear. So he kept silent. He thought the conviction of his sin and the trouble it causes and the consequences that it brought. He thought that, well, he would just go away. So he kept silent. 
he thought, well, I just stay uh, busy with the affairs of this life. After all, I'm an important guy. And so he kept silent. He just keep busy with other things. That's common to all sinners. We know we're, we, we know we're sinners. But what did we do before we came to Christ? We continually turned our thoughts away from the idea that we would be guilty. So we kept silence. That's Psalm 32, 3. I've got work. I've got amusement. I've got things to do. I've got grass to cut. I've got fences to mend. I've got kids to raise. I'll keep my mouth silent. I won't confess my sinnership before a holy God. So I kept silent. Not in the case of David, though. He becomes more troubled as he remembers his sin. My bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. It ruins his rest until he humbly confesses. His bones are waxing old. He's worn out by grief. And he has exhausted his strength. You work all day, moms and dads, and you're waxed old. You're worn out. And that's the point that David came before a holy God. And that's the point every sinner must come to before a holy God. Look at verse number four. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. That's a constant burden. He's being weighed down as he remembers his guilt. God will keep on the forefront of your mind your guilt, your sin, so that you can't shake it. Watch what he says. My moisture in verse four is turned into the drought of summer. Selah. Think about that. He's dried up. Like grass and plants and like our gardens because we've been in a drought. And when we see that rain come, we're like, praise God, we got some rain. Of course, if it rains too much, then we complain, God, come on, stop the rain. And then don't rain. And we say, God, come on, send the rain. And that's our hearts. It don't matter if it rains, we're going to complain. If it don't matter, if it don't rain, we're going to complain. I'm telling you, he's about dried up. And that's what that's supposed to picture there. That continuance of the conviction of your sin being brought to your mind, it stresses you out. The people say, well, what's your spiritual gift? And you can just kindly say, well, I stress people out. <laughs> what do you mean by that? Well, in a minute here, I'm going to change the conversation into do you know what Christ did for you because you're a sinner? You see, all of a sudden, yeah, I can I can see how you're stressing out. I can see how this is making you uncomfortable because that that is what sin does. Oh, great! A Christian is here. You knock on their door. Hi, I, I'm, we're Christians from town. We, we don't have bicycles or name tags. We're not Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses. We want to tell you about Jesus. Uh, and by the way, just start stressing out. Well, why? Well, we're going to tell you you're a sinner and on your way to hell. And, and God sent his son to pay your sin debt. 
Uh, yes, ma'am, I can see that you're rather stressed right now. Yeah, that's the gospel. That's what it does. It stresses people out. That's what happened to David. His sin is continually in front of him. It wears him to pieces. This is why the message of today has been changed. Don't talk about sin. We don't want that. But God does. Verse number five, watch what it says. Verse 32. I acknowledge my sin under thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin, Selah. Meditate on that one. He can't take the pressure anymore, and he can't hide it anymore. All the guilt, all the iniquity, all the sin, like that, he's forgiven in a moment. And know what he found? Peace. And that's the same thing with us. Peace. It's evidenced because it's inward. It's inward joy. It's a comforted soul. Kelly was speaking about this this morning during his Sunday school lesson. New spirit you get and gives you the desires of your heart. And I'm telling you, if you've not trusted Christ this morning, you will never try and find true peace. You will never find true joy. You will never have a fulfillment of true, true happiness until you come humbly and confess under the guilt of your sin that you need forgiveness. We have a God that has a heart that's ready to forgive, but you will not get it any other way. You can numb yourself with the things of this world and you can find yourself busy in fill in the blank of whatever it is. But inwardly, you will not have true joy and true peace. You will constantly have to work because if you stop working, you're going to have to think about things you don't want to think about. Ladies, you will constantly have to be busy because the moment you stop being busy, you're going to have to think about the guilt of your sin before a holy God. Men, you will have to find a hobby. You will have to find sports. You will have to find another ball game to watch because if you don't, you're going to have to think about your sinnership before God. Person opens the door. We're Christians in the area who wanted to talk to you a little bit about Jesus. Well, the ball game's on. They don't want to think about Jesus. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're worldly pagans in the area, and uh, we've got some free pizza, pretzels, and beer down at the uh, VHW Hall and a big screen TV. Oh, well, my ball game's on, but let me turn it off. Let's go. What's the difference? The difference is... They're interested in worldly things. They're not interested in taking their mind off the world and thinking about spiritual things. Who wants to try that on the next uh, Sunday when once the football season amps up? We confess our sins, it's faithful and just to give us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness.
at the end of verse number five in Psalm 32. Actually, at the end of the first, here, let's start at the beginning. I acknowledge my sin unto thee and mine iniquity have I not hid. No attempt to hide it. That prodigal song in Luke, Luke 15, what did he come back running saying? I have sinned. David started off great, didn't he? He got into some deep, horrible sin and watch where he finds himself. I acknowledge my sin unto thee. He's going before who? God. Because he's going to be justified before God. Now, you can go to man and seek forgiveness. And we ought to do that, by the way. I can't forgive Mike's sin. Mike can't forgive my sin. Charles can't forgive Tom's sin. Tom can't forgive Charles's sin. I'm not saying not go to a brother if you have sinned against him. But ultimately, David recognizes he sinned before God. We better get there. We better get there. Thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. And then peace was found. Go back to Romans 4. Romans chapter 4. Look at verse number seven, Romans chapter four, verse number seven. I should say, saying, blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. All David's, all David's carriage, all his deeds, all of it, it's not there. He glances right over it. He's looking back. David, you're going to look back on all your achievements. It'd be great to have David walk in. We'll be able to interview him. Ask him one question. David, you're going to look back on all your achievements, all the great things that you've done. Man, David, where are you going to point to? You know where he's going to point to? Verse number seven. Saying, blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven, whose sins are covered. David's going to say the day I learned that God forgave my sin. That's a blessed day. You're not going to brag about all the tracks you passed out. You're not going to brag about all the Sunday school or sermons you preached. You're not going to brag about how good of a mama or daddy you were. You are going to praise the one who took your sin away. And I'm telling you, I don't care how good you think you are. I don't care how good someone has told you are. I don't care how good you think your, your spouse told you that you are. You ain't good. Not before the eyes of God. And don't think that a loving God won't drop you into the depths of an eternal hell fire because you're you. He won't. But he is a tender heart of mercy. And he is a long-suffering God. And all he wants you to do is come empty-handed and say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I need forgiveness. And he's ready. Today, all the all days to forgive sinners, just like he did with David. God's imputed righteousness by his grace and his grace alone is not a new thing. We've got some mysteries that are revealed in the New Testament. 
we have God who is manifest in the body of flesh, Jesus, the name of humanity. Okay, that's new. But this idea of God imputing righteousness by faith, it's not new. It's an Old Testament principle. And that's what Paul's trying to get across in Romans 4. Ephesians 1, you don't have to turn there, but verse 6 says, To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. Forgiveness from God isn't working for it. If something has to be covered, you better have the fall of grace coming over it to cover it, remove it, take it away. Is it David's righteousness? Did David say to God, look how great of a friend I was to Jonathan? Did David say, do you know that I slayed, I, I, I took off the head of Goliath? Do you know that I could have done the same thing to Saul, right, God? But instead, since I'm such a great guy and I'm so humble, all I did is just cut off a piece of his PJs. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say. It. It's not a right for David to have it bestowed on him. It's God's grace and God's goodness that bestows it on him. And it's a blessing because you and I can receive that same grace by just believing. God is not obligated. He saves on the sole basis of his grace. Praise his holy name. Psalm 51. Keep your finger in Romans 4. Psalm 51. Verse 1, have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgression. Wash me from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity. And in sin did my mother conceive me. Look at verse 7. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. He's asking God to do this because he can't. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all mine iniquities. 
And we couldn't hide our face from David's sin if a man like that was in our congregation. Create in me a clean heart, oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thine Holy Spirit from me. We sure would cast them out. Verse number 12. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Look at verse 13. Then will I teach the transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Deliver me from blood guiltiness. Oh, God. He's a murderer. And he's asking God to deliver him because he knows God's the only one that can deliver him. And my tongue shall sing aloud in thy righteousness. Praise the Lord. Back in Romans 4, blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Abraham, he did not possess righteousness, which we saw last week. But by faith, we saw it was counted unto him. David, David did possess unrighteousness. But by faith, his unrighteousness was not imputed to him. Paul's pointing out the same thing by using the contrast of the opposites. And that's something to give God glory for. Earning God's love is a battle no man can win. No woman can win. If you've been married any length of time, you know that your wife loves you and you know that your husband loves you, ladies, because... You can think right now about the stupid things that you said or did. And in your mind, you're thinking, I wouldn't forgive somebody if they said or did that or acted that way. Yet. I'm thinking right now, I did I did stupid, stupid things. I said. I said things that I wish I never would have said. Why is my wife still with me? It ain't because of me. <laughs> it's because of her love. The way that some look, look, you young people, the way that sometimes you talk to your parents and you and you mouth back and you talk back and you and you give the you give the roll of the eyes and you, you be sarcastic and you, and you and you do all that. You know what your daddy would do if that was uh, his business and it was one of his employees? He'd say, "You're fired. Get out of here. Go home." You know what Mama would do if that was her bakery and she's running that kitchen? Bye bye. Go home. You're fired. You know why they keep you around? Because they love you. That's a little bit of glimpse of the heart of God. He commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners. That's what love is. Mom says. Every day, every every day, you'll hear the same thing. Here's your chores. Here's what I want you to do. One morning, one week, you wake up in the morning. There's no chore chart. But mom comes out of the room, and all of a sudden, the table is fixed. The meal's prepared. The coffee is hot. And she says... Well, I didn't tell you to do this. That wasn't on your chart to do. 
and the young child looks at mama and says, oh, no, mama, I just love you and I just wanted to do it. That's love. It's not forced. After you trust the Lord Jesus Christ, you're not a criminal on the run anymore. You're a lover of the one who has offered you free salvation and who loved you first. You're not a criminal. You're now a lover of what God wants. Go back to Romans 4 and we'll wind this thing down. A few closing thoughts, if you could stay with me for a moment longer. In Romans chapter 4, 11 times counted, reckoned, or imputed is used throughout this chapter. God does some spiritual bookkeeping where he transfers the sin from our account and he replaces that. With his righteousness. And throughout chapter 4. We see it mentioned 11 different times. Using three different words. Counted, reckoned, and imputed. It's spiritual bookkeeping. But you can't hire God. To be your spiritual accountant. He's not for hire. It's only available to him that believe it. You've got to get a hold of. It's your sin. It's my sin. And it's God's righteousness. There's going to be a removal and he's going to count credit something to your account. And instead of a curse, you're going to get a blessing. Praise his holy name. And he's ready to make use of his spiritual accounting in your case today if you haven't trusted him. And he's not going to bring up your sin against you like we do to each other and like this world does and like people kind of have to do to keep their business safe their family safe they're going to say well you did and you know what the best some people have this side of heaven is being locked up in a jail cell so that they don't harm anybody else because they're such a horrible sinner and our problem is we say well we're not that bad we would never be in jail for that well praise the lord you wouldn't and i'm glad you wouldn't believe me That horrible sinner that can't be out in society has to come before the same God and he's going to get saved the same way that you got saved and he's going to be washed in the same blood that you got washed in. Are you saying let him out of jail? No, I'm not. Let him rot there till he dies. What I'm saying is <laughs> you don't get a certain salvation because you're kind of a sinner, but not really. You got to get a hold of that. You're a sinnership before God. You're not good. But I never killed anybody. Stop thinking like that. Well, I mean, don't think go and kill somebody. Just stop with the comparison. You need salvation just like anybody else does. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. Christ didn't die a death that he deserved. He died a death that you deserve. And you can go free. Your sin and iniquity can be covered, removed. When he pronounces you right. The world hates. The God of David. Do you know why? Because the world hates. The God of grace. 
And the world, they kind of rejoice in David taking another man's wife. But they don't rejoice in the God of grace who imputes his righteousness to David. And there's a difference. No one is really happy until they know they've had their sins taken away. You won't have peace because you don't have it. It only comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. We look forward to seeing you in the next episode. In the meantime, you can sign up for our email newsletter at www.pilgrimbaptist.church.